Uh, I am really honored to be here tonight, very, very uh, just humbled, honestly, and I, I thought I would start with a with a story, if, if we could. And this story goes back uh, before being here, or uh, excuse me, before being in Ohio, where I have the honor of, of ministering now, I was a pastor out in Colorado. And uh, we lived for a season, we lived in Boulder, which is right on the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And we lived in this particular apartment building uh, for, for a little while that ran next to this really busy road, okay? And right next to this road was a sidewalk. And so because we live in an apartment building, we have certain routines, right? Like we don't have a backyard. And so every morning before I would head off to work, I would, uh, I would walk our dog, and I would take Ernie, he was a, a pug, just a little guy, uh, I wanted to name him Killer, my wife went with Ernie, and so that's how that worked out, and so every morning I'd walk him, and we had kind of the same routine, we'd walk along this sidewalk, and I remember uh, I, I would walk him all the way down, see it was this busy road that then intersected with this even busier road where there was like a Target and strip mall and all this stuff, and, and, uh, and, and so I, I'd sort of walk down there, I'd get to the end of the sidewalk, and then we'd turn around, and we'd come back, and this one particular morning, I'm walking back with, with my dog, and I see in the distance this person sort of just like hopping and skipping towards me. And I, I remember thinking, that's interesting, and I'm not really paying attention. I'm just kind of in my own world. I'm, I'm walking Ernie, and then this person gets closer, and I realize that this isn't uh, just any person. This is a, a little, like a three-year-old, okay? This is just a little guy, and he's just humming and whistling and, and whatever on this sidewalk by himself at eight in the morning next to this really busy road. And, and this is, just gives you a glimpse into how maybe perceptive or bright or intelligent I am. Because at no point do I think to myself, hey, here's this little small boy walking along the sidewalk by himself next to this busy road. Maybe I should ask him where his parents are, where his family is or whatever. I just, I'm like, hey, buddy, see him. And I just kept going all the way back to the apartment. I get into my apartment. I'm unhooking Ernie from his, from his leash and I'm telling my wife about this weird scenario that just occurred. And she looks at me and, and she's like, what is wrong? Like, what is wrong with you? Why would you just let this little boy, and I didn't even have to let her finish saying what she was saying because I grabbed my keys off the counter. I got in my car and I, because I figured this is 10 minutes later. It's probably way up there. It might be close to that really dangerous intersection. So I go racing down the road in my, in my Buick Rendezvous. And as I, as I get up there, I see him now and he's, I'm kind of, but I can't just stop. It's a busy road. So I pull into this neighborhood and I put the car in park and the radio's still going. I just jump out. The door's wide. I just leave it open. I'm not worried about any of that. And I just start sprinting after, after this little guy. And I'm literally just, just in a dead sprint down the sidewalk, just me, six foot two, 180 pounds, Ryan Stiles looking guy. That's a reference to whose line is it anyways, Drew Carey show. And I just, I'm running, right? And as I'm running after him, I get, like I get, the, and he's, he's about ready, not even, and, and here's why, he looks behind and he sees me chasing. So now he's sprinting. And as he's about ready to step into the that intersection, literally, I like grab him, like in true heroic fashion, okay? I grab him and I whisk him up and I put him in my arms and I just start saying to him, buddy, it's okay, it's okay, it's, like, it's okay, I'm, I got you, I'm not going to hurt you, it's all right. And, and here's... Here's how he responds. Uh, I don't think he knew any, any English. He was a Hispanic little boy. And um, so he doesn't, he doesn't kick. He doesn't punch. He doesn't scream or anything like that. He just does it. He just goes, and he just plays, like, goes, pretends to go to sleep. And so now I'm holding this little boy who looks possibly dead along the side of a road, right? And I'm just carrying him and I'm like waving at cars. And I have, and here's the deal. I have not at any point in this whole process thought through 
what, what am I, what do I do? Like, I have no, like, once I get this little boy, do I, am I going to call the police? So I just, I'm thinking through this, I'm walking back to my car, I'm thinking, all right, so we'll, you know what, I'm just going to strap him in the car, and I start to, I strap him into my, my daughter's car seat, and as I'm doing this the whole time, he's still just, like, pretending to be asleep and playing dead, and so I'm strapping him in, and this is not an exaggeration, no joke at all, uh, as I'm doing this, about eight police cars just, boom, just surround me, Okay? And so now at this moment, I'm like, this is it. I'm going to prison. This is, it was a good, nice moment. And, and the cop gets out of his car. This one particular officer, he gets out and he says, sir, do you have a small child in your car? And do you ever, has this ever happened to you where you have this moment where you're like, you know you've done nothing wrong, but it looks so suspicious that you just, you're like, I, I, there's nothing I can say. So I'm just like, uh, yes, there's a, there's a child he looks, he looks dead. He's not dead. He's alive. And he was, and I just, I got him over there on the road. Like I just, um, but it, you know, I'm like trying to, and he comes over to me and starts talking to me and he realizes nothing's fishy. And he says, listen, we know where his mom is. Uh, you already got him strapped in. I'll escort you over there. And so I did. I followed the police officer over there. We reunited uh, this, this little guy with his mom. It was this beautiful moment. Everyone's crying. Yay. Everything's uh, beautiful. And there's a reason I want to start out with that story here tonight. And it's really uh, twofold, uh, a couple things. The first is this, um, and similarly in how I had no idea what I was doing uh, in that circumstance, how I was just kind of in a lot of ways flying by the cuff and, and just trying to figure out, flying by the seat of my pants, what am I going to do? How are we going to do this? Like, am I gonna, how do I like, get this kid and make sure he's okay? And a similar way, a lot of what I'm going to talk about tonight and, and the ministry I've been able to be a part of and the, the blessing and the, the beauty that's happened in the church I'm a part of that I'm going to share with you, um, I kind of feel... Um, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like I don't know what I'm doing sometimes, <laughs> to be quite honest. And I think when you ask somebody to come and speak and share, wow, there's this great story about your church, like you think that guy must have it figured out, and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, I try to be strategic, we try to lead well, we try to be wise in decisions we make, and, but a lot of times I feel like I'm just uh, figuring it out as we go. Also, I'll mention this, in that story with the little kid and the, uh, my dog and on the sidewalk, like that story in the end, I, I, like, I don't want to like brag, but I kind of seem like a hero a little bit. And, uh, and again, in real life, in the story of the church that I'm a part of, and I have the honor of leading and pastoring, and, and uh, like in some ways, I, I get asked to do stuff like this, Ryan, tell the story uh, of how, how you turn the church around, how things, and man... That is, I, I'm not the, the hero in this story, and I want to be very, very clear about that. I know that I'm just a tool that Jesus is using. I know that I'm just like a, a, a part of uh, a, a piece of what he's doing to fulfill the work that he wants to accomplish, and I'm very aware of that, and I'm very humbled by that, and I know that God has wired me for certain things and has wired me and called me to be in the position that I am in uh, at my church, but I also know that he very easily could have called someone else to that and gotten similar results. And so I just feel incredibly humbled to be here and to be sharing with you. And honestly, again, I'm 35 years old, okay? And I look out, and I think most of you are older than me. Um, I look out, and I see a bunch of people who, honestly, I should probably be sitting there. I've been in ministry for 13, 14 years. I've been a lead pastor for, you ready for it? Three years, okay? 
And so I don't have this plethora of wisdom. I don't have this amazing, you know, background and, and just, I, I could just lay it all out for you on how to do this or do this or turn your church into this or whatever. But um, God has done a really cool thing over the last couple of years and I've been available and, and I've been um, fortunate enough to be a part of it. And so uh, I just consider myself, honestly, I am humbled I am humbled to be asked to be here and to be a part of this. I'm humbled. Uh, a little bit about myself. My name is Ryan. I grew up uh, right here in Woodford County. I grew up in Versailles, Kentucky. This church uh, is my home church. It wasn't called Journey Church at the time. It was Woodford, started Woodford Christian Church, then became Woodford Community Christian Church. Now it's Journey Church. It's probably, I was thinking it's probably been five or six years since I've just been back in the area, period. And so I, I wanted to say this as, as well, man. This place, just being in this room, this place changed my life. Like this church, this church community, this family uh, of believers, and I know it's been a long time uh, since I've really been ingrained here. A lot of new faces I know are a part of this place, and I know many of you come from different churches, but um, this place changed my life. It was uh, in this church that I gave my life to Christ, was baptized. It was in this church that I, I felt the call to go into ministry. It was this church that really showed me the power of the local church, so much so that I decided to commit my life to it. So much so that I said, man, I want to be a part of a place that can have that kind of influence. And so Randy, who's a pastor here, was my pastor way back uh, then. David Jones was my student pastor, who to this day, I believe, is one of the greatest student pastors that ever walked the face of the earth. He still checks in on me and uh, prays for me regularly. Uh, I don't do that for my old students. <laughs> um, he's, he's just a, a great dude. And so, man, I just, I, I believe in this place. So again, I graduated from right down the road at Woodford County High School. Uh, I graduated in 2000, went off to Kentucky Christian University. University, uh, finished up there in 2004, a little hiatus in the middle that we won't talk about. And then uh, when I graduated school, I went off, I was a student pastor in Indiana for four years, went, uh, went from there to a church out in, in Boulder, Colorado, was there for six years, a church called Rocky Mountain Christian Church, got to learn under some great folks like Sean Moyers, Alan Algram, just really good, good people, good leaders, good pastors. And then, uh, and then I got a call uh, from a church in Canton, Ohio. Yes, Canton, Ohio, uh, the city that Forbes.com lists as the ninth most miserable city in America. That Canton, Ohio, okay? And so when I got the call from Canton, I remember telling my wife, I said, I said baby, listen, they're, they, they've, like, they're calling, they want us to, to interview for this. And, and she said, Ryan, look, like, look out your window. See, like we lived in the foothill. Like, look out, your, see, that's Long's Peak, right? See those snow-capped mountains? See this amazing life we have? You want us to move where? But I'm like, babe, the football, Pro Football Hall of Fame, right? And which wasn't a selling point. And so, uh, so I, it, was, it was an interesting conversation, but as we continued to pray and pray and pray about it, we decided to interview, we decided to go through the process, and uh, long story short, we ended up starting uh, there in February of 2014. 
And so it's been a little over three years that I've had the honor of being the lead pastor at First Christian Church in Canton, Ohio. Now, um, let me back up a little bit. If you don't know anything about First Christian Church, that's totally fine because I didn't. I didn't grow up in the Christian Church Brotherhood. Uh, I was raised Lutheran. Like when we moved here, I was 14 years old. That was my first introduction into the, the Christian Church. And, uh, and so I, I didn't have, like some of you are very familiar with First Christian in Canton. You're like, oh, the first Christian. And I didn't have that. I didn't know anything about the background. So some of you also may not know anything about that. So let me bring you up to speed. First Christian is a church with a significant history. Uh, it goes all the way back, literally back to the 1800s, okay, is when the church started. And in the early 1900s, like 1902, a guy named P.H. Welshmer became the lead pastor at First Christian Church. Uh, and as he took on that role, he held that role for somewhere around like 55 or 57 years. He was a senior minister at, at First Christian Church in Canton. And what they did under his leadership is pretty remarkable. Uh, under his leadership, and of course God's blessing and, and mercy and grace in that community, they became the largest church in the country. They were a megachurch in the 20s, 30s, 40s, into the 50s before megachurches were a thing. Uh, they were a church of probably three, four, five thousand people, uh, but the real, like the flagship ministry for their church was their Sunday school programming. Uh, and that was, was, this is pretty remarkable. So they would have 5,000 people in attendance in their worship gatherings, and they would have like six or 7,000 people in their Sunday school classes. Uh, P.H. was pretty revolutionary. P.H. was a guy who would, uh, I mean, he was just, he was pushing the envelope in ways that other ministers at that time didn't, they just didn't do. Uh, he would take marching bands and hike them up the streets in Canton, Ohio to wake people up on Sunday mornings. They would take a band and put it on the roof of their church. And it's stuff you didn't do in the 20s and 30s, right? And he, and he was just this person who, who cared about discipleship. He cared about bringing people to Jesus and, and was just influential, obviously more than just in Canton, Ohio, in the life of the Christian church and, and the kingdom of God. And so, of course, when P.H. died, he actually died as the minister of the church. And from there, there was, there was flux. Over the decades that came after, there were ups and downs and different leaders and people that came that were good, people that, uh, you know, maybe didn't lead well. And there were different moments and seasons in the life of the church. And I'll take this all the way up to the mid-90s. There was a guy that, that went up there. I'm not going to share his name. Some of you might even know him. Uh, went up there came from this area and was a strong preacher, strong leader, good guy, went up, to, uh, went up to First Christian and really just took that church that was in a season of, of, I would say, plateau, a season of kind of limbo, and came in and just revitalized that community of faith, revitalized FCC. And slowly but surely over the course of a few years, they began to grow and grow and grow, and they got to a place where they were just pressed at their current facility in downtown Canton. They could not stretch their arms anymore. They were doing everything they could possibly do. They were, they were being as creative as they could with parking. And so finally what they had to do is they, they decided, we're going to move to a new location. Uh, they sold their current facility to a university in town, and they bought a golf course, the oldest golf course in Stark County. It's called Edgewood Golf Course. They bought this 18-hole uh, historical golf course, and they ripped out nine holes, they plopped, out a, plopped down a, a $25 million building, 2,000-seat auditorium. They took out, they created, um, this is getting into a lot of detail, they created an umbrella organization called Thousand Hills so they could get a HUD grant along with a, a gift so they could build a community center that would be for the youth but also for the community people could be invested in. They, so they, the, this church, First Christian Church, my church, we owned a golf course, we owned a community center, we had this amazing facility, and the thought was, 
the sky's the limit, right? We're going we're gonna to build all this, and it's going to be amazing. And if we build it, they will come. And it's just, it, we'll go from 2,200 where they were at the time to 3,500 to 4,000 overnight. That was the thought. But that's not what happened. And I don't know if you guys have seen this. I'm sure you have because uh, you've been around um, church world for a little while. But I think what happened in that season at First Christian was um, the vision became the building. You know what I'm talking about? Where for so long, everyone's just, oh, when we get in the building, when we get in the building, when we get in the building, and everyone's, the whole vision is about when we get in that building. That's what every, and then when you get in the building, everyone looks around, and we all say, now what? And that was kind of the, what happened. There was, there was a lack of, of, of vision cast. There was just sort of a, an instability. And so where the thought was, hey, we're going to go from 2,200 to, to this, uh, it sort of went the other way. And it happened right around the same time the economy dropped out. And all of a sudden, 2,200 became 2,100 and 2,000, 1,900. They had this great reserve, and, and to be quite honest, they, they kind of uh, planned the mortgage payments for the future, and so they couldn't, they were, they were dipping into that reserve to make their monthly payments, which was like, like $114,000 a month, right? That's a lot. And so they're dipping in, they're trying to pay all this, they're trying to figure out, and they're trying to, and, and, it's, and, and as they're doing it, it's just 1,900, 1,800, 1,700, and then this church called uh, this great leader, it was leading First Christian from this church from Florida, and said, hey, we want you to come down here, and it was really hard, but he made this decision, okay, I'm going to go down there, and, and now the guy who cast the vision for this great building and this great thing, it's, you know what, it, it, he's, he's gone, okay? And so now you're at 1,700, and you're at 1,600, and the golf course isn't making money, let's shut the golf course down, boom, the 1,600, 1,500, 1,400, we don't have enough people giving, not enough giving units, we're not making enough money, we, we can't afford these $114,000 monthly payments. So they get to this point where they're like, okay, we, we, they went and they talked to church development fund, CDF, and they said, listen, we can't make our payments, or we're going to foreclose, help us. And so they literally, uh, our church had to deed the building back to CDF in lieu of foreclosure. So this monster dream, this beautiful vision, this amazing idea, the golf course is shut down, and now we don't even own our building. But it was the only thing we could do to stay alive. It brought our payments down almost like $70,000 a month. We entered into this relationship with CDF, really where it was just keeping us alive. New leader was brought up from within. He just wasn't the right guy. It wasn't a right fit. And people just 1,400, 1,300, 1,200. Let him go. 1,100, 1,000, 900, 800. And that's when my phone rang. <laughs> hey, Ryan, would you uh, be dumb enough to come take this job out here in, in Canton? Yeah, I think I would. Let's go. Let's do this. And it's interesting because people will say to me all the time, they'll say, um, they'll say Ryan, uh, man, you must have had like such a, uh, such a faith to take that step, to leave where you were and to go there. And, and what I often remind people is like, uh, listen, man, a, lot of, a, a lot of that was just ignorance. And secondly, um, the faith went both ways. Because I was a 31-year-old guy that had no lead pastor experience coming from a ministry context in Kentucky uh, where it's a little different than Northeast Ohio, uh, or excuse me, a ministry uh, experience back in Colorado. It's a little different than Northeast Ohio. Uh, there was no guarantee that this marriage was going to work. 
And so it was very much a, a step of faith on, on both sides. But I remember I had congregants when we first started at, up in Canton. I had people coming up to me and they were saying, they were saying like, you're buying a house? Are you sure you want to do that? Like, like are you sure? Because there was, there was no guarantee that this was going to work out. I, I, had a, I remember meeting with a staff member. I did one-on-ones like the first couple weeks. We just sat down and we talked one-on-one. I had this one particular staff member. This is how... Um, kind of what the morale was, they said, listen, they said, Ryan, I'm scared I'm going to come into work tomorrow and there are going to be chains on the doors if the bank's taking the building. We'd gone through, uh, in, in 2011, 12, 13, they'd gone through four different waves of layoffs. Most of the staff was part-time. We couldn't afford to pay benefits. We were still a church of eight or 900 people, but just the, the monster that the building was, it was just handcuffing us in every way. And so... It's been this, this really crazy journey over the last three years. So I'll bring you up to speed just a little bit. Um, we went from eight or 900 people in, in, in 2013 uh, to, I think yesterday we had, I think our attendance was 1804. Um, we... Uh, we, we, when I got there, I didn't know this, uh, and maybe that's my fault, probably is. When we got there, I remember I sat down with our business operations guy, and I said, all right, so how are we doing? He said, all right, we have $25,000 in our reserve. I said, okay, well, put that in context. He said, all right, our weekly budgeted need is $29,000. Uh, we live in northeast Ohio. It snows a lot there. Uh, so we're like a snowed-out Sunday from have, having no money reserve at all. Uh, so we, we, were, we were there. Um, now, three years later, here's what God's done. Uh, we're somewhere we probably have uh, close to a million dollars in available cash. Here's the best part, though. In 2013, we had, uh, I think we had 29 baptisms. To date, uh, over the last three years or so, I think we've had about 400 people get baptized into Jesus. And here's what I, and guys, I want to be really, really, guys and girls, I want to be really, really clear, like really clear, because here's what happens. Like I, I stand up on stage and, um, and it's, this is, this is how it sounds. It's like, hey, um, it's not me, it's not me, it's God, right? It just happens to be when I was, uh, when I got there, right? And, and, and it's this sort of like humble uh, brag or passive brag or whatever. But I, I really want to say it's like it, it really has been just a God thing, infusing the life of our church and, and growing our church. And I said, I remember my very first Sunday, I said this, I said, um, I said, guys, I don't believe God's done with this church yet, and I believe this is going to be one of the great stories, turnaround stories uh, in the life of, of a local church. I really do believe that, and, and I, I really do believe that it ha- it's, not, it's not me, it's, it's Jesus, and he's, he's amazing, and he's doing amazing things, and he's, um, and he's not done yet. And, and guys, here's, here's the reality. It re- I re- like, really, believe me when I say it's not, it's not me. Like, I am flawed. Okay, there are many, many, many uh, days where I sit in my office and I literally will pray to God, like Jesus, please don't let me burn this place to the ground. <laughs> like God, I don't want to screw this up. Like there's so many. I, like, like for me, last summer, this, uh, and I'll just uh, I'll put this out here. Last summer, I had to step away for like three months. People were mad. They're like, "You're giving this guy a sabbatical? He's been here two years." And I had to step away. 
Because I was, I was, there were things in my life that I'd gotten out of whack. I wasn't in a good, like, I just had to step back. And here's what happened. Like, like I, honestly, we probably lost a couple hundred people. And I say that because I want to be very clear. We could sit here in these seats, and I've sat in the same seats, and we see the Hollywood story, right? We see like, oh, well, the geek comes in, everything turns around. No, no, no. Like, like this is God's work. I'm flawed. It's hard work. We've had struggles. We've had to push through. We've had to make, make sacrifices, and we've had to be, be intentional. But God's done some really amazing stuff. And I've had the honor the honor to be a part of it. And so that said, um, for whatever it's worth, with my three years of lead ministry experience, uh, I just have a few insights, things that I've learned along the way that I'm going to share with, with you. And uh, if you're the type that wants to write something down or put it in your phone or whatever you can, take it back to your pastor and say, here's what you should do, and then he'll get mad at you and you'll have a weird relationship. Um, <laughs> uh, but I just have just four things, and, and again, these, these were our context, okay? Uh, but I get asked this uh, every now and then, like, what did you guys do to turn it around? What happened? What, like, what, what steps did you take? And, and I think there are a lot of things, but if I were to boil it down to just a few, it would probably be these four things. And again, this is our context, this is our situation, this is our church, and so keep that in mind. This isn't a one-size-fits-all, this was our context, okay? But we'll just jump right in. Here's the first thing that for us, um, we had to to kind of recognize, and it's this, and, and, and some of us aren't going to like me saying this, to be quite honest, uh, but we, we just had to kind of go in and say, okay, everything has to go mostly. <laughs> now, there are different philosophies on this. The most popular philosophy is a new leader comes into an organization, and they come in, they take a year, and they assess, right? You take a year, you take 12 months, you assess, you build trust. You don't do anything drastic. You don't do anything crazy because you need, you want to gain trust and, and, and you don't know the organization that well enough to make changes anyways. Well, here's, here's why this had to happen in our context because our staff were scared there'd be chains on the door the next day. For us, we didn't know if we would be there 12 months from now. For us, there was an urgency that things had to happen. And so we came in, and a word that we, a phrase that I used almost every staff meeting with our crew, almost every, uh, like when, when I would communicate, something that I said all the time, I used this phrase, I said just visible change. I want people to see visible change, visible change, visible change, visible change. All right, this isn't just a new pastor coming into town uh, with a little different style than the last pastor. This has to be seen as a season of rebirth for us. This has to be a like a turning of the page. We aren't going to stay there anymore. We're going here. And if we're going to get there, then we can't keep doing the stuff that we're doing over here. It just perpetuates the same reality. And so we, we honestly... We changed, like, everything. We changed uh, little things, like the weekly program. We changed our website. We changed the order of service. We changed the length of communion meditations. We changed where we did offering in the service. Uh, we changed uh, how, just every, we changed little things, and then we changed big things. We, about six months in, we sat down uh, as, as a leadership, and we said, all right, vision, mission, values, let's, let's do this, let's go. Uh, we know where we've been. We know PH was amazing, but we can't keep looking in the rearview mirror. We got to look forward. 
And so we just came in and we said, all right, let's do it. And we changed, again, vision, mission, values. Uh, we, we changed, uh, like, who are we targeting? Are we, are we really, is there someone that we're really going after? Or are we just kind of hoping it works out? We assessed. If it's working, cool. If it's not, then it's got to go. And this was the luxury that we had, and I'll admit this. This was the luxury that we had almost immediately is that uh, something took, and we saw, um, we, saw just we saw momentum almost right off the bat. And so because of that, that where we would get pushed back, sometimes we could we'd say, yeah, but it, it's working, okay? Yeah, I, I get it, but it's, it's something, God's doing something with this. And it was this really, really cool season. And I know, I know we don't, people don't like change. I know uh, maybe some of us are sitting here and we're saying, oh, I don't, I don't like that. Not everything must go. Uh, but for us, man, it had to. It had to because it wasn't working. And I would challenge, like, like I, think it's, I think it's important to assess, to constantly assess. It's important to constantly reevaluate. Is this, like in my church, is this stuff really working? I was talking to someone while we are eating. Uh, you know, we, we, things are good. We're getting a lot of transfers, but we're not, we're not seeing a lot of baptisms. I, I'll just say this, man. I'm not, I'm not in this business to transfer membership. I'm in this business to win people to Jesus. Amen. Right? And so we've got to start to ask those questions. Is what we're doing working? If it's not, then maybe, maybe it needs to go. And that's hard. But that's something that we had, to, we had to really look at. Here's the second thing that we recognized. Um, we needed to create raving fans. And so for us in particular, uh, we didn't have a great perception in the, in the local community at that time. Uh, we killed the most historic golf course in the county. Okay, uh, we had a lot of people in our church that invested a whole lot of money, and then we gave the church back to the lender and didn't even own it anymore. Uh, we were we were not we we just had to kind of start over from scratch and say, yeah, maybe some people don't like us, but this is a new leaf, rebirth, we're turning a corner, and so we said, man, we're going to create raving fans. And this is a, a term that Andy Stanley uses a lot. It's this idea that I don't just want people to come to my church; I want them to want to come to my church. I don't want people just to be like, yeah, it's Sunday, let's go. I want them to be like, when is it going to be Sunday? I said this early on. I said, man, I want, I want our people to be so excited that when they're like at Disney World and they have to miss a Sunday, they're on uh, whatever, it's a small world ride, thinking like, I wonder what's going on at FCC today. Like that's the sort of energy that I wanted to create. We want to create raving fans. We want to create excitement. We want to create a culture in our church where people couldn't help but tell other people about their church. Where in the same way here we talk about Kentucky, we want to get people, and I know it's like, yeah, okay, it's church, churchy Sunday, but like we want to be able to be excited about First Christian Church. And so for us, we said, let's create raving fans. And so one of the ways that we did this, I kind of mentioned how we rewrote our vision, our mission, and our values. Uh, we said, all right, here's what we're going to do with our vision. I wanna, well, like, we want to make it really simple, and we want it to be a mantra, like a rallying cry. And so, we threw, like our previous vision statement was complex and long and, and didn't really mean anything, and we said, all right, here's what our new vision is going to be. We're going to be a church 
uh, for all people, Jesus for all people. That's what, that was it. Our vision statement, Jesus for all people. What does that mean? Here's what that means. We're not just a church for church people. We're not just a church for saved people. We're not a church for people who have it all together. We're not a church for people who grew up a certain We're a church for all people. Whatever your background, whatever race, whatever, whatever your issue, whatever your struggle, cool. Welcome to First Christian. I've got some of those too, okay? We're going to be a church for all people from all backgrounds, black, white, rich, poor, addicted, sober, gay, straight, whatever. We want to be a church that has open arms for everybody everybody. And here's the tension in this. Some, some will say, well, hold on, hold on. Everybody? Yes, everybody. Now, that doesn't mean that we agree with everything everybody is doing, but you notice this about Jesus. Jesus made people mad because sometimes he was a little too much of this and not enough of this, walking that tension between grace and truth. So we preach truth. We preach that things like homosexuality is a sin, Okay? But we're going to be a church that loves you and the same as everyone else. We teach that living with your boyfriend or girlfriend before you get married is a sin. But we hope you're here Sunday. Because when you're here Sunday, we hope that you'll bump into Jesus. And so that's the tension that we walk. And when we made that our mantra, here's the deal. When we made that our mantra, we just said, we said we want this to be something that's easy to put on social media, put on uh, Twitter or whatever. So you'll see it. Like you'll, if you follow me on social media, you see it all the time. Hashtag Jesus for all people. We just made that our mantra. We wear it on our T-shirts. Jesus for all people. Uh, we, we put it on bumper stickers. You go to the, the mall, you'll see it in the mall parking lot. Jesus for all people stickers on the back of people's cars. We want to be a church where our people are raving fans, where they cheer for their church. That was the second thing that we did. Here's the third thing that we did. We said we want to be a place that strives to be excellent. Now, this is a word that we use a lot in churches, and so I know I'm not saying anything revolutionary. Uh, I know that if, if you go to leadership conferences or you hang out with uh, whoever, like you hear this all the time, we want to be excellent, we want to be excellent, we want to be excellent. The truth is, um, when, when I got to FCC, we just weren't excellent. Like, we weren't. I remember sitting in our service that first Sunday, and I was like, this, I feel like I'm at a funeral. I don't want to be here. <laughs> like, I'm glad I'm the pastor because my attendance would be a little spotty, okay? Um, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't excellent. And I love this. There's a pastor named Perry Noble that I, I, I love um, so when he communicates on this subject, he says this. He says, uh, man, we serve an excellent God who created the world excellently, who died on a cross excellently, who lived an excellent, perfect life without sin. Like for us in the church, why do we, he jokes, he says this, so then why do we put someone on the stage to sing a, a special song and they're awful, but we say, oh, but it's authentic. <laughs> That's what we say in church world. Like, why aren't we striving for excellence? And I know, I know, again, that might be stepping on some toes, but for us, in our context, we just said, man, we want to be, be excellent because we think God wants excellence from us. And so with our musicians, with our worship band, with our communicators, with, our, with everything we did, we said we just want, we want it to be our best. Are we, are we still faltering in some of these areas? Yeah, we are. Are we still trying to make strides? Yep. Do we have it figured out? No. Could our guest services be a little better? Yeah, it could be, 
Right now, my administrative assistant uh, oversees it, and she's like the grumpiest person ever, okay? And she oversees our guest services at the front. Hi, how are you? Like, it's not a good fit, okay? We're not excellent there, all right? We can make some strides, okay? But uh, we're, this is an area where we just see, like, so, such, such importance. Such importance. I mean, I look in Scripture, and I see this as, as a priority. Just a couple I'll throw up here. Here's... here's uh, just one really quick in Colossians 3. You guys know this passage. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving, right? We're supposed to give Jesus our best, like our best. Here's another one. Well, uh, here's, here's one more. Uh, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. We're supposed to give God every, like, like think about it, in our church context, shouldn't that be even more heightened? Shouldn't that be even more? Whatever we do, man, we should be, we should be giving excellence to Jesus. If you're, again, in your context, I don't know your situation. Are you a Sunday school teacher? Okay, are, are, you, are you giving excellence? Are you cramming on Saturday night trying to figure it out? Are you a worship leader? Do you sing in some way? Do you, do you, are you in the band? Do you, uh, do you practice during the week or do you show up rehearsal like, I didn't, man, I didn't even look at the, I don't even know what songs we're singing. And God wants excellence from us. He wants our best. So this was a big deal for us. We don't have it all figured out, but this is something that we're continuing uh, to work towards. Finally, here's the last thing, and I think this might be the most important thing, but it's this. Uh, we just we stopped being afraid. I think one of the biggest things that uh, was holding our church back in Canton, Ohio, we were scared. When you start losing people, man, you get scared. When you see, when you see the numbers are dropping, you get scared. When you see the, uh, your, your, your giving numbers are, are, aren't what they, they used to be, you get scared. When you foreclose or deed your building back to the lender in lieu of for, you get you get scared. And all of a sudden, that one person who leaves the church because they don't like how things are going, they don't like the direction, seems like a hundred and you're, try, you're just doing everything possible for people not to leave, and you're certainly, uh, you just, you get in survival mode. And for us, we had to transition from, hey, let's stop just trying to survive, and let's, let's try to thrive. And so we just said, man, we're going we're gonna to stop being afraid. We're not going to let our fear drive our decisions anymore. If we feel like we're supposed to do this huge community outreach event and it's going to cost us a little money and we're not sure where it's going to come from, we're going to step out in faith and we're going to say, Jesus, provide. If we feel like we're supposed to change something in our services and it might make a few people upset, but we feel like God is calling us to do this, then we're going to make the shift. We're going to make the change because... Because we're not going to function with fear. I love this, this little, just this passage right here. Um, 
2 Timothy, for the Spirit of God gave us, or the Spirit God gave us, uh, it's not to make us timid, but to give us power and love and self-discipline. Like God, God is not cool with us living in fear. God is not, he is not okay He's not okay with us being timid. We are the church. We are the hope of the world. We we have the Spirit of God in us. What are we afraid of? We said we're not going to be afraid anymore. We're going to step out. And here's what happened. I love this. When we made that declaration, we're not going to be afraid. And we're going to take steps. Here's a couple things I did. The first thing, it took this weight off us. It was like being set free. And it gave us, like, and I love it, it gave our staff the opportunity to fail, which was really good, actually. We could take risks. We could dream. We could take steps of faith that we weren't entirely sure if it would work out or not. But you know what? We're going to give this a try. And, and God would find us in those moments and he would bless. And sometimes we failed and sometimes we didn't. Sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't. But we weren't going to operate in fear anymore. We were going to take steps of faith. Uh, I'll give you an example. Just in January, we did the series. We called it Let's Do Big Things. We wrapped up the series. I wasn't sure how it was going to work out. I said, all right, we're going to wrap up the series. We're going to do, let's do something big together as a church. And so I got a bunch of envelopes. I had our, our business operations guys say, give me $10 uh, and, and put them in a bunch of envelopes, $10 bills and all these different envelopes. And we're going to let people just come forward and they could take uh, just $10 at a time. And so we just gave away like $5,000 that Sunday. We said, just take it, just take it. And then here's our challenge. We said, all right, now we want you to go multiply that. And I talked about the parable of the talents. I said, go multiply that and let's see what comes back. Use your talents to multiply that. And so they took $10 and they went and they bought a bunch of bacon goods and they made cookies out of their $10. They sold them for a dollar each. They brought back $30. We had people doing crazy stuff though and it's dreams like this like we had up there Ohio State everywhere right and so we have people like I had a family in my life group uh, they said uh, they put on Facebook they said listen for this amount of money I'll wear a Michigan shirt to school tomorrow and for this amount of money I'll put a Michigan uh, flag in my yard and for this amount of money uh, my whole family and they raised like $1,300 wearing Michigan gear and then here's what we did. We took that five, about $5,000 went out that, that day. We took $5,000 and it came back. Three weeks later, it's $30,000. And we took $30,000 and we bought 120,000 meals that we're going to be packing in two weeks to send down to Haiti. When you operate scared, you don't dream anymore. When you're afraid to take steps of faith, you're not thinking about how this could set your people free to do even greater things for the kingdom. We said, man, we're not going to be timid. We're going to tap into the God who is a God of power and a power of God of, of love and a God of discipline. We're going to ride that. We're going to lean into that. So I'll close with this. If you were to ask... Um, if you were to ask some of our elders who were around during that time, that season of struggle, and you were to say, um, what feedback, what did you learn, what experiences have you drawn over the last few years? Here's what I think you would probably hear. 
I think you'd probably hear them say that struggle, that hardship, all the layoffs, all the the bleeding reserve, the building being given back, all that, I think you'd hear him say this, actually. As hard as it was, it was worth it. And here's why. Because we learned a few things along the way. See, there was a season in our church where we thought if you build a big building, that'll do the evangelism for you. And now we've learned otherwise. There's a time where we thought, man, if there's a gap in ministry, uh, if we don't know what, let's just hire someone. Let's just hire someone. And now we say, man, no, let's, let's mobilize people to serve. There was a season where we thought in order to do effective ministry, you had to have a big budget. And here's what we've learned. Uh, actually, uh, loving people and leading people to Jesus doesn't require a budget at all. And I think God used that season, that struggle in the life of First Christian Church in Canton, Ohio, I think he used that season for us to humble us, to recalibrate us, to refocus us on his heart. And in doing that, we stumbled across a few things like Jesus for all people. In doing that, this is one of my most proud things. I love this. Uh, We have one of the strongest disability ministries in the country. We have a guy, our disability pastor, his name's Ryan. He's he's, he's amazing. He's amazing. And he's doing things within the disability ministry community that we have churches calling just all over the country, just like, what what are you doing? How are you doing this? Last year, he he did a disability mission trip uh, that was led by our friends, our our friends, our adults with disabilities. It's just amazing. We We have multiple Sunday morning disability ministry classes. We do a disability ministry Sunday. Like, it was out of that season, that season of darkness, where Ryan thought, you know what? Actually, um, what if we created a, a day services program where we use this amazing facility that we have and we open it up to our friends with disabilities, developmental disabilities, and here's the cool thing, uh, we'll keep them from 9 to 2, we'll minister to them, we'll create environments for them, and Medicaid will pay for all of it. And it'll help supplement our church and, and get us through the season. It's been an amazing thing how God has worked and how he's birthed this new heart for our community. That season was really hard, but it was necessary. We don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. But we're trying to walk in step with Jesus one one step at a time. And in doing that, It's just really cool to be along for the ride. So I don't know if those principles apply to you. I don't know if there's anything to take from that. I don't know what your context is, but here's, uh, I guess, I'll just say, God is good, and it's been a blessing to be a part of that, and it's been a blessing to be here and share with you guys tonight. And my favorite part of all this story is it's not done yet, and God's still working, 
And so maybe uh, I'll be back in five years if they haven't fired me, and I can update you again. Um, that was a joke, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm just a really blessed guy to be a part of it. Guys, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for, um, for letting uh, me spend some time with you tonight. Um, let me pray. We'll head on out. Father, uh, or head over to Trinity uh, here. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this group of, of leaders in the church, men and women who love, uh, who love you and who are committed to you and committed to your service. God, I thank you specifically for uh, the role that this church has played in my life and in the life of, of so many others. Um, and God, I just pray for more blessing on this place and on Randy and on, on, on the ministry here. Uh, and again, on, on all of, of, of the other ministries represented in this room uh, and represented here, just the state of Kentucky and the, and the church as a whole. God, just move in this place. Help us to be people who aren't... Um, help us to be people... who aren't worried about membership transfers, but who are, are chasing after those far from you. God, that's my prayer. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.